Thank you so much. You may be seated. And worship certainly is an antidote to a cloudy day, isn't it? <laughs> Whether it's in our, the outside or inside our hearts, wonderful to sing the praises of the Lord, hear His word read, and to enter into powerful prayers, and to also to listen to His voice. And we want to do that this morning. Now you take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. Again, I welcome all of you. And we're so glad for you that are here in the auditorium, those in the hub, our worship times together, those who are joining with us online. So as you're turning there to Luke 24, a passage that was read earlier, just a couple of reminders to you. Again, I encourage you, if you possibly can, be with us at 5 o'clock this afternoon for our family gathering. Uh, we usually have those the first Sunday of every month, and uh, we are excited to welcome, uh, I think, about 15 new members into our fellowship uh, this evening, so we're grateful for that. Also, once you know, we'll have a time uh, with uh, Damon, our architect, will be uh, sharing the plans so that we'll understand a little bit about the process that's going on right now on, cam on campus, so the building of the a nursery and then the uh, children's building going with that over the next several months so that will be helpful and then also we will be uh, taking some time in the word as uh, pastor joe is going to talk about the qualification of elders those who oversee shepherd a congregation we're uh, excited in the next uh, few uh, days to be able to present three men for the church's consideration for this office of elder uh, to join the uh, currently serving elder. So we'll discuss that tonight as well. So it's going to be a very en encouraging and powerful time for us at 5 o'clock this evening. Hope that you will be with us. And also just let me give this also encouragement. Last week we received the information as Jake shared with us about our training program, our training center. I'm so excited about this. This has been something that truly has been on my heart for a number of years. Uh, we've put it off for a while, of course, with COVID and all that, but excited for an opportunity for us to be able to uh, have teaching and training in a very uh, personal way that is really about being equipped to be servant leaders in the Lord, both in our understanding of the word and our own spiritual formation. And I hope that many of you will be involved in that as we look forward to that beginning in September on Tuesday nights, the a time to apply for that is the next few weeks. And I know I'm looking forward to being involved in it. Susan is as well. I know others here. And I hope that you will seriously consider an investment of Tuesday nights for a few months in this wonderful training center ministry. So if you did not get that information last week, it's out on the web. It's out in the lobby as you uh, leave this morning. So please prayerfully consider being a part of that I'd love to participate in that with you. Well, we've come to our last message from the Gospel of Luke. Been quite a journey, hasn't it? Uh, we began this uh, Advent 2019, actually. Uh, had some times for some other focus, but we've been going through this incredible Gospel. And I, was, I didn't recognize this, but I thought about it as a last uh, few weeks ago, that when we come now to the end of the Gospel of Luke, over these 35 years that I've been here as pastor, uh, we have now gone through every book of the New Testament. 
uh, in our time in the, in the Word, and many from the Old Testament as well. And uh, I just think it's about time we started over. Okay, how about that? But I, I was really grateful thinking about that. God's allowing us as a congregation to walk through this entire New Testament in a couple of weeks on the 15th for our late spring and our summer focus. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. So I encourage you uh, to go to the book of Genesis, maybe in your devotions, those last uh, uh, 12 chapters or so, and spend some time uh, there as we're going to look at his life and how it is a timeless and very timely example for us. So I'm excited for what's ahead there as well. Now today we come to this final, uh, these final verses of the Gospel of Luke. And so if you've not turned there, Luke chapter 24, we'll be looking at verses 36 through 53. Now, a number of you know, that, and I've said over the years, that I, for two years while I was in college, undergraduate, I worked as an art gallery guard, okay? Now, I want you to know there were some very crucial qualifications for that position. Not just anybody could do it, all right? You had to, you had to meet two absolute essential qualifications. Number one, you had to own a blue suit, okay? <laughs> and number two, you need to be tall enough to reach the button that would call the police if something happened, all right? And so I met those two great qualifications. So for two years, I had that, uh, that position, and I really in, learned a lot, especially over those couple of years, I'd follow uh, tours around and uh, keep uh, elderly folks from touching masterpieces. Uh, and I learned a lot. One thing that I learned about a type of art is called a triptych. A triptych. Now, a triptych is not a packet you get from the AAA, okay? That's something else, okay? A triptych is a form of art where there are three separate images, paintings, in a panel, three separate panels that frame a piece of art, tell generally a story. Okay, sometimes it'd be a Bible story portrayed in a triptych. Sometimes it'd be a, a family a picture of the people, the family, in a triptych form. But three of them, three scenes. And so as I was thinking about all those times in those tours, seeing these pieces of art, a triptych with three scenes, it reminded me of what we have here in the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We really have a triptych of the resurrection. You know, Luke was a historian. We've come to understand that. He interviewed eyewitnesses of what they experienced in Jesus' life. He himself was not an eyewitness, but he carefully interviewed those who were eyewitnesses. And he sums up the resurrection story. He chooses from all those interviews these three scenes to tell us about the resurrection. Three scenes. Now we've looked at two of these panels, if you will, of this triptych of the resurrection. The first scene is the scene of the empty tomb and what happened around the empty tomb as the ladies came that morning to anoint the body of Jesus. And then last week we saw the second scene which is on the road to Emmaus. Cleopas and another unnamed uh, disciple are 
walking to Emmaus when this stranger approaches and they begin a conversation and of course it leads to this unveiling of the Lord Jesus to them. He was made known to them through the breaking of the bread. And that leads Luke then to choose this third scene. And the third scene is really kind of a combination scene and we'll understand that in a moment. The first part of it is in the upper room where the disciples had had the Passover. And what took place in that upper room late in the day on that first Easter Sunday. And then Luke also chooses to tell us about the scene, not of the upper room, but when Jesus is taken up from the Mount of Olives to ascend back to his Father. Luke combines these things. And so what you have here is Luke, in these last verses, bringing a summary. It's a summary of Jesus' resurrection as he talks about what happened on that end of the first day. And then he summarizes what Jesus taught for the next 40 days and then what happened on that 40th day, the final day. So this is a summary. What happened in the upper room that night, the end of the first day, Easter Sunday. Then, what did Jesus teach for the next 40 days? What, what was the, the heart of his message? And then, what happened on the 40th day? His last day on this earth. Now, Jesus did this, of course, not without purpose. And I think Jesus had two goals of what he was trying to accomplish in that upper room and what he was trying to accomplish and certainly accomplishing over the next 40 days. What was it that Jesus was seeking to accomplish and did accomplish? Number one, he proved to his disciples that he is the living king, right? He's the living king. And he prepared his disciples for the living kingdom. He proved that he was the living king. And he knew he was leaving this earth to return to his father. But his kingdom would not end in his absence. It would continue on as a living kingdom. So he wanted them to comprehend and understand and be gripped by the reality he's the living king and they are part of a living kingdom. And that's what I'm praying these next few minutes as we're in the word and we prepare our hearts for communion at the close of our service that the Lord will help, I pray many here are watching, to enter into this living kingdom. Right? To enter in and be a part of a living kingdom. And that also many of us might experience the living king in our lives today. Now, here's a way I'd like us to see this summary that Luke gives of the final evening and the, fi the final 40 days. Number one, I want us to see that he gives these living realities, four living realities, four living realities. 
from the last evening and the 40 last days of Jesus. What are they? Number one, there is the reality for us of our living master. The reality of our living master. And let's just read again, as we've listened, let's just read again about that first appearance to Jesus' gathered disciples, okay? Now, they're referred to as the eleven. They used to be called the twelve, but Judas, of course, betrayed the Lord. He hanged himself. Now they're called the eleven. Actually, we know from other scriptures, one is not there with them at this time. Who's that? Thomas, okay? And he can brighten any room by just leaving it. He's doubting Thomas, okay? But what happened? Well, let's read about it. Verse 36. As they, that's Cleopas and this unnamed disciple, as they were talking about these things with the disciples, and they, they were saying, the, the, the eleven, how they'd heard the Lord is risen, and Peter has seen him. <laughs> they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why the doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. That is, I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones. But you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands, his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy... And were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now, you know, you read that, and all you can say really is, Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, oh, my word. And these disciples are gathered at night in the upper room, and they're going and over what's happened in the day. They've heard stories from the women that they've been told by the angels, he's alive. They've heard from Mary Magdalene, it says, he is alive. I've, I've talked to him. Uh, they've heard from Peter, it says, he's appeared to me. Now they have two disciples who've come back from a, the walk on, to Emmaus, and they've come back, he's alive, we've seen him. He showed himself to us by the breaking of the bread. And John tells us in John 20 that the door was shut. They were, they were afraid of the Roman authorities, the Jewish authorities. The door was shut. <laughs> but a shut door meant no more to Jesus than a rock in front of a tomb. <laughs> he just appeared. He just appeared. And Luke says here, they were startled and frightened. You think? <laughs> Makes sense. They, they, they had heard the testimony. It's not, they, they know that these people that are saying this, are, they're their brothers and sisters, they're not liars. But there's no way they can frame this. They can't understand it. What could this possibly mean that he's risen? And then there he is. And they thought he was a spirit. That is, they thought he was a ghost. 
but the resurrection of Jesus, no ghost story. Yes. What do we see about Jesus here? He has the same spirit, but he's not a spirit. He has the same spirit. He has the same attitude. What's his message to them? Peace be to you. Peace be to you. Aren't you glad when the Son of God rose from the dead, he didn't rise with a bad attitude? (laughs) Bitter over what had happened to him? That would not have been a good day. He's the same Jesus in his spirit. Same love and compassion. When his heart began to beat again, it beat again with devotion to his followers. He has the same spirit But listen, he's not a spirit. He's not a spirit. He says, touch me. A a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. And, And don't you love this? He says, verse 39, see my hands and my feet. Verse 40, he showed them his hands and his feet. Why? Why his hands and his feet? To prove he's the same Jesus with the body that he had. Why his hands and feet? Because the nail prints. The scars of Calvary are still in his body. This can't be anybody but Jesus. He was nailed to the cross. That body had the Nail marks, the scars in the wrist and the ankles. And here, they're still there. This is Jesus. What was it the old songwriter said? I shall know him, I shall know him how? By the print of the nails in his hands. You're not sure who Jesus is when you get to heaven? I think you'll be sure. But just look for the nail prints. That'll be him. Someone said the only thing that Jesus took from this earth with him that were man-made were the prints of the nails in his hands and his feet. That's the only man-made thing in heaven. The scars on Jesus' body. The impact, notice, now they're disbelieving for joy. They're, They're just, the Bible says they're overwhelmed with joy. Verse 41, they're so dumbfounded and they're just transported by unexpected joy. You ever experience some kind of joy like that? Just dumbfounded, startled, unexpected? I was trying to think this week and say, when, when, in some small way, when did I ever experience something like that? And immediately, my thoughts went back to a moment in my uh, childhood, actually back when I was in sixth grade. And here's what happened. I was staying the night with my best friend, Jeff. And as boys are want to, we started, you know, investigating the garage and the attic and things like that. And up there, I found an old little trunk of a thing and I opened it and there was an old musty mildewy trumpet in there 
And I got that thing, and I started trying to blow on it. And it's, you can imagine what it sounded like. It sounded like a calf dying in a hailstorm. It was awful, okay. <laughs> it was awful. And Jeff's mom came in to investigate, and I thought, oh, man. She said, Sam, you found the trumpet, I see, <laughs> here. She said, would you like to take that home? I said, uh, yeah. She said, I'll tell you what, you can take it home, but you can only take it home if you learn how to play it a little. I said, okay. So I took that thing home. <laughs> and I, I go back there in my uh, bedroom, and you, you have to get the idea of this, you know, our little shotgun house, you know, a shotgun where you could shoot a shotgun through the front door and go out the back door, just like... <laughs> 900 square feet, and I'm back there tooting on that thing. Oh, it's awful. Awful. My, but my mom and dad would come back, and they were kind of interested. I was playing on this trumpet. It sounded awful. My brother told me how awful it was. <laughs> but I, I taught myself. I finally figured out a song, one song I could play. The only thing I could figure out was the Marines hymn. <laughs> and so I would play that Marines hymn. It was I'm sorry, Marines, it was awful, okay? But I played it. And after I got the Marines hymn, I said, I wonder if I could figure out another song. And so I went and got the hymnal from our church. And I started, I didn't know anything about keys or notes. I just started figuring out the fingerings. And so I started playing these hymns out of the hymn book. And now mom and dad are like, wow. They'd actually have, we'd have my aunt or uncle come over. You know, I had several, they'd say, hey, Sam, go do that. I said, oh, I don't want it. No, no, do it, do it. You know? And I just, you know, play bringing in the sheaves, you know, like awful. And so, I did this for three or four months. Now, follow me. Christmas morning. My brother opens his package, big old package, and it is a 22 rifle, brand new, you know. Oh, man. Can't wait. What did I get? I opened my little box and it had a suitcase in it. I go, uh, I know I'm going to camp, but I don't need a suitcase. And so then I opened it and it was plush red velvet. And under those twinkling Christmas lights was the shimmering, bright, brass trumpet brand new and I what I was just overwhelmed I, I was just ecstatic I was jumping around I grabbed this thing and I'm so excited and dad and mom had bought for me to have lessons <laughs> they, they needed me to have lessons and so I took lessons and I joined the band and you want to know the rest of the story Three years later, I'm playing that trumpet in the band when I notice a beautiful flute player, okay? <laughs> Named Susan. We've been making wonderful music ever since, okay? And, and I, was, I, I was thinking this week, thank you, Mrs. Milner, okay? Thank you for giving me that old mildy trumpet and an opportunity to learn. Well, you know, I remember that moment 
But you can imagine that's just a fraction. That's really even a silly illustration to compare to Jesus. We can't even, they were delirious. It's just too good to be true. And, but it's still, when they can't believe for joy, Jesus said, okay, I will show you. Have you got something to eat? I'll show you I'm not a spirit. Give me a piece of food. You'll see. You won't watch it go down. My, okay, you won't be able to see through. He ate a piece of fish to show he wasn't a spirit. They had shared meals with him many times. It's the same Jesus. Now, friends, what do we take away from this? Something very important. Jesus was not resurrected as a spirit. He was not resurrected as a spirit. Jesus was resurrected with a spiritual body. Now, let me carefully. He had a body. It was his body. The very same Jesus. But through the resurrection, his body had been transformed. So it was a spiritual body. What does that mean? It means it was no longer bound to time and space as we know it. It was no longer restricted by the dimensions in which we live in this physical world. He could be in this physical world, but he wasn't limited by it. He could go here, there, Jerusalem, Emmaus, walk, see Peter, show up in a room. (laughs) But it's Jesus, a spiritual body. And you know what the Bible says? One day, every single follower of Jesus will have that same kind of body. I can't wait to get one. How about you? The Bible says, when you die, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. But that's not the end. It's just a temporary season until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And when He comes again, He's bringing with Him those that have passed There will be the resurrection of the bodies of those who have believed in Him and their body and spirit will be joined together. Perfect spiritual body. Those who are on the earth will be caught up. And then like Jesus' resurrection moment, they will receive a spiritual body. So then a body that is you, it's you, your identity... It's always going to be you, but you'll no longer have a body that's limited to this space and time. And it's no longer tired and pain-ridden. And the mind's no longer corrupted by your sin nature. And the former things are passed away. See, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to renew this atmosphere and renew this earth. And the people that are going to dwell in it are going to be renewed followers of the Lord. We'll be fully, again, the sons and daughters of God. And in our flesh, we shall see God. How are you going to see God? When you get to heaven, you're not going to see three thrones. And there's like a little spirit over one throne and then there's a devil on another throne and then there's a man on another throne. No, 
you will see God as He has revealed Himself in His Son, the man Christ Jesus. You see, when God became a man, He did that for all eternity. He took on a human body. Now there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we will be the sons and daughters in God resurrected as our Lord has been resurrected. You know, I don't know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. But isn't it wonderful? You see, there are things true that we can't wrap our mind around. But God cannot lie. And Jesus said, you will have a body like my body. Four living realities. The reality of our living master. Quickly, the reality that we now have a living message. A living message. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now most likely here, between verse 43 and verse 44, we now have this, this synopsis, this, this collection of what the next 40 days were about. We know it's not just Easter Sunday because Jesus, we're told, spent 40 days after his resurrection. And on the 40th day, he went to the Mount of Olives up at the top of that near the little village of Bethany. That's when he ascended. So what Luke is doing here, beginning at verse 44 down through verse 49... He's basically letting us know what was it that Jesus was teaching his disciples. What was it that Jesus was doing from Easter Sunday until the day he was taken up? What was his ministry for those nearly six weeks while he was with his disciples? Well, he was proving his resurrection, you remember, <laughs> But he's also preparing his disciples. He's preparing his disciples and how does he prepare them? He prepares them through revealing himself in scripture. What Jesus did after his resurrection, think about this. He conducted about a six week course in training his disciples how to see him in the scriptures. And to share that with other people. Now how would you like to take in that class? That's quite a class. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples what? He's teaching them here is the message. Here's the message. This is what I've spoken to you. You will find me in the scriptures. You'll find me in Psalms and the prophets and in Moses. That's the three divisions of the Hebrew Scriptures. The Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. The Psalms means the Psalms of David and also the wisdom literature. 
like the Song of Solomon and the Book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Law, prophets, and Psalms. What is Jesus saying? It's all about me. (laughs) I'm the theme of everything. I am the theme of what Moses shared, what the prophets shared, what was shared in the Psalms. And he illumined their minds. Verse 45, he illumined their minds to understand the Scripture. They, they hadn't got it for three years. He said, this is what I've been telling you. But they didn't fully understand. And now he illumines their minds so that they can see him in the Scriptures. That he is the theme of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he is the fulfillment of Scripture. He's not just found in Scripture. What did Jesus say? Search the Scriptures, for they what? Testify of me. Search the Scriptures. They testify of me. But he said, they also, the Scriptures are fulfilled in me. You'll not just find me in the Scriptures. You'll see the Scriptures are fulfilled in me. Verse 46 Thus it is written that the Messiah must suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. They never could understand in those prophets. How is it? It seems like Messiah suffers. It seems like he's wounded and he's battered and bruised and forsaken. But now Messiah is glorious and he's reigning and ruling and he's bringing all the nations under his control. How can this be? They didn't understand The Messiah must first suffer for sins and sinners to redeem them from the curse. And then he would rise from the dead as a victor over Satan, over sin, over all dominion and authority to redeem the creation. It's all fulfilled in Jesus. Oh, my friend, I'll say again, that was quite a course, wasn't it? But they had to have their minds illumined. But friends, listen to me now. Listen. Jesus is still teaching this course. You want to know Jesus? Pray to Him. He's alive. You want to know Jesus? Find Him where He said you will find Him. Read the book. They testify of me. And ask Him to illumine your mind so that you can understand and see where He is and know that He is the Christ, the promised one who has died and been resurrected and He's your King and your Savior and your only hope. Look for Jesus. He's not hiding. He's on every page of this book. And He will illumine your mind. If you seek Him, you will find Him. When you search for Him with all your heart, do not say or or deceive yourself that the Lord doesn't want you to know Him. He came that you might know Him. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Search the Scriptures. Pray for God to illumine your mind. He will do that. And what's the goal of this course of Jesus? Now listen carefully, churchgoers, Bible study attenders. Wonderful that we do that. But what's the goal of seeing the Scriptures, understanding the Scriptures? 
Is the goal just information? No, the goal is information from the Word that brings illumination to your mind. And the goal is communication. You can share it with others. You see, the Lord will show you Himself in the Word. He will illumine your mind so that you can share it with others. You see, folks, if we are studying the Bible so that we come to know the God of the Bible, the Savior of the Bible, it's not just that that knowledge will be in our heads, but be in our hearts, and it'll also be in our mouths so that we can share what the Lord has given to us. And that means we have a mission. Here's the living mission. Living, living king. We have a living master. We have a living message. And we have a living mission. Look at verse 47. Let's start verse 46. He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead. There's the message. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is a message that is on mission. Verse 47 This gospel is so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Only in the name of Jesus. This repentance and forgiveness is to be shared with all nations. Not just the Jewish people. What did God say to the first Jewish man, Abraham? In you, all the nations of the earth will what? Be blessed. Why? Because from Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through the tribe of Judah, through the family of Jesse, through his son David, would come one who would rule all the nations. And the nations will rejoice in Him. And this message of this good news, this gospel message is to go to all the earth. And that's our mission. That's our mission. It's a purposeful mission. It's it's wonderful. It's this good news. It's good news, isn't it, that the Son of God died for us and rose again. Isn't that good news? It's good news. It's wonderful news. It's worldwide news. It's for everybody. It's for everybody, every people group, every ethnic group, every language. It's for people of every country. It's for people of every political party. It's for people that we like And it's for people we don't like. And it's for people who don't like us much either. It's the good news. It's personal. Verse 48. You are, what's the next word? You are witnesses of these things. I love that. 
witnesses. Listen, he didn't say we are prosecutors to condemn people. He didn't say we are judges to convict people. He said we are witnesses to tell guilty people how they can be pardoned just like we have been. We're witnesses. We need to stop being prosecutors. It's not our job to convict people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We need to stop being judges. Who are we to judge? But we can be witnesses that this Christ who died on the cross died for me and rose again from the dead. He's done this and you will find in Him a Savior like I have found. Believe on Him and you will be saved. My friend, that's the power of God, the salvation, the gospel. The gospel is not your power. The power is in the gospel. You say, well, I can't do that. I I can't be a witness. I can't do that. Well, the answer is, sure you can't, can. (laughs) Say that again, Sam. Sorry. You kind of droned on here for a while. I can't, I'm telling you, I just can't be a witness. Sure, you can't, can. Why? You can't because none of us has the power to change someone by our witness. But we can because a power has been given to us. Not our power. Where's the power? Look at verse 49. Jesus said, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father. This is the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are what? Clothed with what? Power. From within? Is that what your Bible says? You're clothed with power from within? No. What's it say? You are clothed with power from on high. The power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. You see, when you witness, listen, be, here's something to be encouraged about. When you witness, the Holy Spirit's witnessing with you. Amen. It's His power. Our living master, our living message, our living mission, and that gives us for all time a living motivation. Let's just read it here as we come to a close for communion. Verse 50 to 53. Our living motivation. What's our motivation? He led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And he was carried up into heaven. What did they do? They worshipped him. They knelt down there on the Mount of Olives. They worshipped him. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God. His disciples knew who he was and they worshipped him. And he returned, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. When Jesus took them to the Mount of Olives. He went up right to the ridge. I was there just three weeks ago. (laughs) I love going there 
And I love just looking up in the sky and, and saying, this would be a good time, Lord. <laughs> because guess what? This same Jesus that is taken up from you into heaven is coming in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. He's coming back to the same place. The Bible says his feet will stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. Same Jesus coming back to the same place. This is the ascension. Jesus is returning to his Father. And as he returns, do you see what he's doing? He stretches out his hands like a priest. He's blessing them. Why? Because he's leaving the earth to go to heaven. And what's he going to be in heaven? He's going to be our representative and he's going to be our great, what? High priest. His hands that bless us are nails, card. <laughs> wow. It's his ministry in heaven. And it's our ministry on earth. Our ministry on earth is what? We go about our business now with great anticipation. We, the Bible says as his followers, we're looking for him. How does the Bible end? What's the final prayer of the Bible? Do you know what it is? Even so. What? Come, Lord Jesus. Anticipation. We don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. And we anticipate His coming. Until He comes, what are we to be involved in? Adoration. We worship Him with joy. Joy. We worship Him with joy. This amazes me. They were going back into Jerusalem where Jesus had been crucified. They were going back to where the high priest still was and where Pontius Pilate was still there. They're going back to a city where they are hated. And are they going back kicking the dirt? It's not fair. World shouldn't be like this. No, they're going back with joy. Because what? There is a joy in their heart that's greater than the fear of the world. Adoration. Friends, let me tell you something. People aren't drawn to a faith of angry folks. They're not drawn to a faith of fearful folks. They're not drawn to a faith of criticizing folks. They're drawn to a faith that in this messed up world, some folks have the joy of the Lord. And they're going in participation. Anticipation, he's coming back. Adoration, we're going to worship Him and we do it in joy. And verse 53, they are in participation. They're continually in the temple blessing God. They, they, they join together in this new community of worshipers, united in praise, as different as they can be, but united in praise, participating in worship. It was a regular part of their life. And I saw this this week. And I'd never seen it before. <laughs> the, the brilliance of Luke. You know how Luke begins this gospel? <laughs> he begins it in the temple. With a man. 
who can't believe and won't believe, and so he can't talk. What's his name? Zechariah. John the Baptist's dad. That's where Gospel Luke starts. With a man, because of his unbelief, he can't talk. How does Luke end the Gospel? With people in the temple who can't shut up <laughs> because of their joy in the Lord. Now, which is your denomination? Which group do you belong into? You belong to the group that goes to the temple and never talks? Because you can't believe there's a Savior that's overcome the world, the sin, and the devil? Are you part of the group that nobody can shut up? Because my Savior lives. And He has saved me. And He's in my heart. And I want Him to be in other people's heart. And even though they may slay me, yet I'll praise Him. What makes the difference? Jesus alive in your heart and your mind. Do you remember when that was true of you? Do you long for that to be the situation again? When you just can't contain Him? And I ask some of you, do you want that? Are you so tired of religion? Are you ready for a relationship and a Redeemer? He's alive. Lord, we thank you for our journey through this gospel. And Lord, we thank you that you've given it to us. And thank you for Dr. Luke, who wrote it. But Lord, we know that the message is Jesus. You're in this book. You live in this book. And you will illumine our minds to see you and know you. And Lord, to live in our hearts and fill us with your power so that we might not be judges or prosecutors, but witnesses. Lord, I pray now in this moment as we come to communion, so grateful that we close this time in Luke with this time of communion. As we take the bread, we take the cup, we remember you, Lord, and we worship you, and Lord, we anticipate you, and we long Yes, Jesus. Just like you ate a piece of fish in that upper room. Oh, Lord, we long to share a meal with you in heaven. Thank you for this gospel, the good news, and a glorious Redeemer. Help us, Lord, now. Draw us to yourself. Bless this time of communion in your name. Amen.